It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. This episode of the Yankees Magazine podcast is brought to you by the MLB app. Yankees baseball is always live with the MLB app. Follow the action with game tracking and video highlights, along with up-to-the-moment stats, standings, breaking news, and more. Download the MLB app today. It's your number one app for Yankees baseball. Hello, hello, and welcome back to the Yankees Magazine Podcast. We are still at home, but, you know, still happy to be talking baseball with you. I'm John Schwartz. I'm the deputy editor of Yankees Magazine. With me right now over the phone, we have our executive editor, Nathan Makaborski. Nate, how are you? I'm doing all right, John. Nice to hear from you. Yeah, it's been too long since we got to talk on one of these. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of strange. We go from seeing each other, you know, five days out of seven for years on end to uh, (laughs) not seeing each other at all, really, except for over Zoom every once in a while. So uh, certainly strange, still kind of uh, adjusting to uh, the reality of the situation here. But um, yeah, it's good to good to talk a little Yankees baseball or Yankees publications, at least. Sure. Still, still adjusting, still trying to get used to everything. Kind of hoping I don't get too used to it. Um, I'd like for this to still remain an outlier if we can arrange that. I, I don't think I'll ever get totally used to it. I mean, there's still so many things that just you, you take a step back and you're like, wow, this is really a, a bizarre way to be living our lives right now. But it's what we got to be doing. And apparently the uh, the measures are, are working to some extent. It seems like things are, are you know, not getting worse, which is a good thing. So we'll keep on doing what we're uh, being told to do. Before we even start talking about just regular things happening around the Yankees and around Yankees magazine, obviously the Yankees family suffered just a huge loss recently when we lost Hank Steinbrenner. You know, Nate, obviously you're someone who's been around this organization longer than I have, you know, so I'm sure you've had more interaction and more contact with Hank. You know, how, how did that news hit you when you heard? Well, I was surprised. I didn't really uh, know Hank well, but of course, your heart goes out to the Steinbrenner family. I mean, to you know, be going through such a difficult time already with you know the, the, the shutdown of baseball season to then lose Hank uh, at, the, at the same time. Uh, you just can only imagine how tough it's been for them. So uh, I, I thought that the uh, you know the, the quote from the family in the press release that went out, I thought was really kind of touching. Um, you know, press releases <laughs> often are not that, but uh, the way they described him, you know, as a genuine and gentle spirit, somebody who was, could be direct and outspoken, which I think is the way a lot of people in the public kind of remember Hank. But, but then they said in the very same conversation, he, you know, could show tenderness and lightheartedness. I thought they, they really did a nice job of showing uh, what, what a special guy he was. And uh, my heart goes out to them. Absolutely. I, I'm, I'm glad you brought up, you know, that, that statement, because 
I, I mean, I hate to say I enjoy ever reading someone's obituary or anything like that, but it is always nice to know that when you have an impression of somebody and and and, and hear that you got it wrong in a sense and see and, and get to hear from the people you kind of wish you had heard from a little bit sooner to really color that image for you of who someone really is. You know, it's funny. I actually, and that's not funny. If I, if I had a life philosophy, I guess it's always go to the funeral. I kind of, you know, whenever someone passes away, whether it's someone, you know, that close to me or not, I really enjoy going to funerals because I always feel that like, you know, you always get a sense that you didn't have before when you hear people talk. And obviously I'm not suggesting that everyone's perfectly honest at funerals and that everything is, you know, the unvarnished truth. But, you know, I always do love hearing those stories about people. And so, you know, t- hearing from a lot of writers and a lot of, you know, people close to the family who've been speaking about Hank in, in the you know days since we heard the news, it's it just been nice. And, and I, it calls to mind again, you know, you think of all the things that we're giving up right now and all the things we're missing. I kind of wish that there was a way that, you know, the whole Yankees family could be together right now sharing stories about Hank so I could hear even more. And I know, you know, how hard it is for all of them to be dealing with this in those moments. And obviously, you know, they're far more important in the situation than I am. But, you know, I do hope at some point we get to have a, whether it's just a tribute at the stadium or something to, you know, really get to hear a little bit more about the person this guy was. Because, you know, he's just someone who has kind of been a part of my life for a little while, but I didn't know at all. Yeah, no, I, I agree. Um, that's, you know, it, it has been hard being, being apart from our Yankees family. You know, it's, uh, it's strange. You know, we talked about it at the top of the show, you and I not, you know, we usually sit next to each other at Yankee stadium every day, but even just, you know, the people all throughout the stadium who you pass on a daily basis and just have little conversations with, um, you know, that's no longer part of our lives right now. So you're right. It, it, it is uh, important that when we do get back together, something is done. And I know uh, I, I've talked to our boss, Al, about how we want to uh, kind of pay tribute to Hank uh, when we get up and running here again. Uh, so, you know, we'll definitely have something on him uh, in the, the a future publication for sure. I know that I look forward to that and I'm sure our readers will too. You know, not to move off this too fast. Obviously, Nate, that is a good segue you just made. As you know, every day is kind of different than the day before and also exactly the same. And, you know, I mean, I think in our last episode, I was talking to Mark Feinsand about this, which is, you know, we have the, I guess, if you want to call it the blessing and the curse of kind of being like perceived to be insiders around the game. So I don't know about you, but, you know, I'm constantly hearing from everybody I know, hey, what are you hearing? Uh, When's this going to start up again? And it's just like, dude, like, I have no idea. (laughs) You'll know, you'll know when I know, but it it, it, it has been a bit sobering though i would say even just in the last week or or two you know as we kind of made the decision which i think makes sense but still was hard that you know we're going to hold off on publishing any magazines until you know there are games to write about we had some you know thoughts in our head about the ways that we could be producing magazines and things like that and it just didn't make sense for right now and i and i think that we all kind of came to the agreement that eventually the baseball will be back and we'll start doing the magazine again but it just it keeps getting more surreal in a sense. You know, you kind of start working on something again, you start getting back into it. And then it's just, you know, well, we're actually going to hold off from this until, well, I don't know when until, but until sometime. Yeah. I mean, that's one of the, the toughest parts of this whole deal is just not knowing, you know, what the, the goal line is, you know, not knowing when like, okay, you know, in, in June, we'll be able to all go outside again, or we can, you know, plan on having a, a baseball season beginning July 4th. And, uh, you know, I mean, I'm still, optimistic that we are going to have uh, some semblance of a baseball season this year. I think so many people uh, would really love to see that, that everybody's going to 
put their heads together and, and come up with a plan that, that makes sense when it's safe to do so. But I sympathize with a lot of our readers. You know, we get messages almost every day now from people saying, you know, hey, uh, I, I know this is a crazy time, but um, I didn't get an April magazine. Just want to make sure that uh, I, I didn't get missed. You know, they talk about rereading their spring issue over and over again. And uh, I've been kind of doing the same thing. So, you know, we are working on, you know, the content for our next publication, but uh, we just don't have an exact date yet as to when it's going to be, when it's going to go to press. Hopefully it coincides with the start of the baseball season. You know, I, I still got my fingers crossed that uh, that happens sooner rather than later. And obviously we should point out that whenever Yankees magazine does start publishing again, which it will, uh, obviously subscribers will receive their full allotment of issues. So if you have five issues left in your subscription, you will get the next five issues. It's just going to be whenever they happen. It's a difficult time for all media right now. It's a difficult time for, you know, all business right now. And I would say in a lot of ways, you know, we're very lucky. It doesn't feel lucky every minute, obviously, but you know, the Yankees have been working with us. They've been good with us and everything like that. And we're fortunate. And there's just not that much to say about baseball right now. So, you know, the resources are going to better places right now. And I think that's important. But again, rest assured, if you are a Yankees Magazine subscriber, you will receive all your issues. If you are not a subscriber, but you just want to see the next issue, we'll be back. And honestly, if you want to subscribe now in anticipation of it coming back, now's a great time too. You can go to yankees.com slash publications and subscribe there. And Again, whenever we start up again, you will get the eight issues for your subscription. So, you know, again, it's a, it's unfortunate. We would love to be publishing right now. We would love to be helping people, you know, get that sense of normalcy in their life of reading about baseball. At the end of the day, there's just not that much baseball to talk about right now. And I look forward to there being a ton of baseball to talk about right now, because the fact of the matter is this is still a very good Yankees team that when it starts playing, I'm excited to watch whenever it is. Yeah. I mean, if, you know, People are talking about perhaps a, uh, a, you know, it's probably going to be a shortened season. I doubt they're going to play 162 this year. So whatever that number ends up being, it's going to be really, really interesting. I mean, it's going to be like a, a sprint uh, to the to the postseason. And, you know, I mean, you might see some, some <laughs> you, you think about like in years past, you know, you look at the standings at the all-star break and, uh, you know, there's usually some like upstart team that has a hot few months. I mean, a team like that could go to the World Series this year, you know? Like, well, we got to see. It's going to be really fun, I think, once it does get going again. But yeah, in the meantime, we got to kind of sit tight and, uh, you know, appreciate everybody's patience. I mean, the, the notes we've got have been very, like, understanding and, and very polite. And, and we appreciate you guys sticking with us. And uh, rest assured, when, when we do get back up and running, uh, we'll, we'll be as good as ever. Nate, you have three young kids. I have two young kids. Obviously, mm -hmm. much of passing the time these days involves either a lot more arts and crafts that we're used to or other things or closing a door and trying not to be bothered for a few minutes. But you know, <laughs> what, what are the, some of the things that you're doing uh, that you, you know, wouldn't necessarily normally be doing on a Thursday afternoon? <laughs> wow. Yeah. It's, um, it's certainly a lot different, you know, it's, we've never had this much time together consecutively. You know, I, uh, I celebrated a birthday at home last week and I, you know, they brought out the cake and I looked at my kids and I was like, you know, guys, you know, soon enough, life's going to start getting back to normal. And, you know, people are going to be going to work and school every day and, you know, baseball and dance and this and that and the other thing. And we're never going to have a stretch like this again, where we're all together, all five of us every day, day after day, week after week. 
And so, you know, I hope we, you know, take time to, to be grateful for that. And they just looked at me, they're like, dad, shut up and cut that cake, man. Like, <laughs> they're like not feeling it at all. <laughs> well, I, pre- I appreciate the sentiment. Eh? Yeah. But oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, no, we've been, we've been staying busy. Owen, actually my son, uh, he, he published his own magazine. Um, it's called kids journal. And the first edition was dedicated to sports. So while I was down here in my makeshift home office, you know, working on Yankees publications, he was next to me, uh, soliciting work from his cousins and friends and, and he put together a cute little magazine. So that was good. The girls, they, they've been playing nicely together for the most part. It was funny this morning at the breakfast table i'm sitting there with my youngest she's three and she's got her two little princess dolls in in front of her and and a napkin in the middle of the two and the two princesses are on either side of the napkin and i hear her doing the voices of them she's like okay we have to stay six feet apart (laughs) (laughs) i'm curious what what do you miss what are you looking forward to uh you know the the minute that the the prison gates bust open you know where are you running to all of our grocery shopping and cooking, everything we've been doing at home, like I haven't gone to anywhere. Like we've been literally like quarantined here. And I think like, I mean, you know, you live up around this area too in Essex County, North Jersey, like we're surrounded by amazing pizza places and bagel shops and bread, like bakeries. So I think that's kind of what I'm missing most. It's just like, Instead of, you know, I've been like making pizza at home, like using my bread maker to make pizza dough. And it's okay, but it really doesn't compare to <laughs> the pizza shops around here. So that's, that's going to be one of the first things I do. I don't know. What do you, what, what do you got in mind when, when this all goes away? Honestly, there's a part of me that, you know, yeah, I, I want to sit down in a nice restaurant with just like a really great different beer than what I have in my fridge. And, you know, I will say I happen to have excellent beer in my fridge. <laughs> but, you know, I, uh, I'm looking forward to something different, perhaps. But also, I just want to go to the supermarket and get what I need and cook it yeah. as opposed to having grocery. And, and I should not be complaining about this because my amazing wife is handling all of the grocery app nonsense, but like any ingredient that we want, it's trying to figure out which of the 17 grocery stores can uh, get it to us the soonest or whatever and everything like that. And we're, you know, planning so far ahead. It's like, I want to realize like, Oh, we don't have, you know, this kind of cheese that I want in the fridge. Okay. I'll be back in 20 minutes and come back. with right. cheese. <laughs> yeah. We got this like, you know, chandelier, I guess in our, in our dining room that has five light bulbs on it. And like, three of them blew out in a span of like 24 hours. And like, normally I would just run to the supermarket and be back in 10 minutes. And it took like two weeks. We were like eating in like the near dark for two weeks because I had to like, you know, special order these little light bulbs from somewhere online. And, and, we, should, and we should be clear. These are very, very minor problems in the grand scheme of things right now. But yeah, no, it, it's just like all these little things. I just got, yeah, I, I want to know that I need something and acquire that thing <laughs> in the way that like all my life I've been able to, which again is part of being part of, you know, the privileged few who can do all this stuff. But man, like, you know, I just want to, I want to turn on a random current live sporting event that I somewhat care about. Not entirely. I don't, you know, I, I don't need it to be, you know, a Michigan sporting event or something like that. I just want the background noise of like an NHL game or an NBA game or a baseball game for that matter. Just something I like law and order, but I'm really, really reaching my limit of law and order right now. You know, it's funny you mentioned the background noise because so last Saturday uh, I was at home, obviously, and at three o'clock in the afternoon on Channel five in New York, they were showing 
game one of the 1998 World Series. Like, think about how crazy that is. Like a, a Saturday afternoon in New York, um, but people are just so hungry for sports that that was what they were showing. And like, you know, I, I really haven't done a whole lot of rewatching of old games. I, I find it kind of hard to watch sports where you know the outcome, but it had been so long that I'd watched any type of sporting event. I was like, all right, let me throw this on. And really like the thing that struck a nerve was hearing a Yankee stadium crowd and just hearing like them go nuts for, you know, the Knobloch home run and then the Tino grand slam. And I was just like, God, like I can't wait to hear that again when, when we're back, like that really is it more than, you know, seeing baseball or hearing the announcers or anything else. Just hearing the crowd really made me feel like, boy, do I miss this. Yeah, 100%. It's really... I, I, I love sports. I know I love sports. It's just... I, I, I need sports, it turns out. You know, I, I need this thing in my life. You know, I, I, I just need stakes. I need, I need mm. you know, to be watching things where... There are outcomes and there's like aggression and all these different things that I guess I never really saw myself as that person. But turns out I really, really am. I will say, thank God, MTV, the challenge, knocking it out of the park right now in terms of uh, athletic feats and drama. Thank you very much to them. There's certainly a <laughs> you know, wealth of stuff right now on you know Netflix and all the other streaming services. But, you know, just give me a random Winnipeg Jets versus you know, Vancouver Canucks game to go to sleep to and I could be a happy man right now. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's no better drama, you know, than, than sports, you know, I, I really like, I don't watch TV a whole lot at all. I mean, I don't even, I canceled cable a while ago and I really, even during this time, I don't really miss having cable because I always found the drama of sports and particularly Yankees baseball to be more intriguing, more enthralling than any, anything else on TV. So, you know, we've kind of had to find other ways to, to get our fix. So, so you talked about, uh, the challenge, but what else have you been doing, John? Has there been any, any show? I know you're usually a big Broadway guy too. So what have you been doing to just kind of, uh, you know, pass the time here? You know, it's been rough. Thankfully there, has, I, I am indeed a big uh, theater guy. Thankfully there's been a lot of great stuff that's been streaming on YouTube. Um, my kids love watching that stuff with me. You know, I, I hate to say it because it sounds so horrible and pretentious. I kind of actually have been trying to do the good job of taking on some like new hobbies and tasks. Uh, I've been playing the guitar a lot, really trying to get back into it. I'm actually taking Spanish classes finally, which I've wanted to do for a while. So I've been doing nice. that. Um, you know, I'm really muy bien, which is gracias. Um, as I explained to the teacher, who's actually someone who was recommended to me by our photographer Ari Goldman Hecht. Uh, you know, my goal is to know Spanish, sure, but really my goal is just to be able to effectively conduct an interview or even just have a conversation with some of these players whenever it is we get back. So I've been enjoying that. But, you know, some running, some biking, things like that. Hanging out with the kids, playing video games with the kids, doing a lot of cooking. It, it, it could be so much worse. It's really hard. It could be so much worse. Um, and, you know, while I like your optimism and I hope you're right. You know, I just have no idea when it's going to go until, but I guess with that said, I should point out that 
uh, yankees.com slash magazine. We are actually still posting content there right now for Yankees fans. And when we get back, why don't we bring in our senior editor, Jake Kring Schreifels, who's going to talk about a story that we just did post an oral history of the 2000 World Series on the 20th anniversary. So stick with us. We'll be back in one minute. Hi, this is Aaron Boone. You're listening to the Yankees Magazine podcast. The Yankees Magazine podcast is also brought to you by MLB.tv. Watch every out-of-market regular season game live or on demand with MLB.tv. Your subscription includes MLB at Bat Premium, allowing you to stream live baseball on your favorite supported devices. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Visit MLB.tv for details. Welcome back. And joining me and Nate on the line right now, we have Jake Kring-Schreifels calling in from Harlem. Is that correct, Jake? That is correct. And on this day that we are recording, uh, we actually have a thunderstorm in Harlem right now. So uh, it's, it's, a, it's a brand new experience for me here. Uh, April, <laughs> without any baseball, in my room, and a thunderstorm outside. So it's, it's not exactly the best situation, but uh, you know we're making, we're making the best of it. We're all doing the best we can. Jake, the reason we have you on here, obviously, is because while we don't have the wealth of content you know, coming out right now that we normally would in April and that we had hoped to, one story that has just gone out up online is your incredibly fun oral history of the 2000 World Series between the Yankees and the Mets. You know, um, obviously... There are some stories that take really hard pitches and that really, you know, a lot of creativity to put together. And then there are other times when it's just like, you know, we should really do this, right? And everyone in the room just starts nodding their head and saying, yes, I think this one was kind of the latter. But I got to say, I love the way you executed. I love the way it came out. What was your goal when you started out there and how do you think it went for you? Well, I do have to give you some credit, John, because you did help transition this into an oral history. And I think the fun part was, I mean, we, we talked about this back in November looking into the off season and how we might approach some of these anniversary stories. And I had wanted to do this for a while. I remember watching the subway series as a kid and it still has such an impact with New Yorkers and certainly on both sides, Mets and Yankees fans, it's still one of the most memorable world series uh, that they can certainly remember. And so I wanted to certainly treat this the right way, but from a Yankees perspective, obviously they won, but I, I, I think it is really interesting when I was thinking about the angles for what this would be, we started thinking about, well, you know, it's another World Series victory, but what is it really? You look at the fact that this did cement the dynasty for them. This was three in a row. This was four out of the last five years they had won the World Series. They were playing their crosstown rivals, so there was that added dimension. And then you think about the fact that they didn't win another World Series after that fact with that remaining core group of guys. So those three combined was really interesting because when you think about the Subway Series, you don't think about this franchise having to wait another nine years for a World Series. But unfortunately, they had lost in Arizona in that final inning. They uh, lost the Marlins in 2003. So there was uh, a bit of a, I guess you could say, nostalgic look at the fact that this was the end of the dynasty. So I wanted to attack it from that angle. But uh, the funny part was I, I did go about this, uh, approaching it like it would just be a written feature. And so I started reaching out to several players and got a, got a good amount, as you can see in the oral history. But as you started looking at the, the piece and, and going through it, I think you made the right decision in saying, 
I think we should just hear more from the players because effectively I was just writing little substitute lines in between all of these quotes. Everything was so good that they gave me and I almost got in the way of it. So I think we decided to, to pivot and I think it worked out for the better. And, you know, you left some of those little lines in there, which I think really helped, you know, kind of steer the, the, the whole story in, in the right direction. You know, one of the other kind of ties, I think, that brings this all together is uh, almost every guy you spoke to mentioned George Steinbrenner in some capacity at some point in the conversation, it seems like. Did you anticipate going into these interviews that he was going to be such a uh, you know, focal point of, of this story? I actually didn't. I think I understood that the Mets were always uh, a big contentious point for him. And I knew that would be something of a talking point, but it didn't hit me until I really started asking them at the start. Well, I'm figuring, you know, they've won two world series in a row. They're going for a third. I'd imagine that the motivation for them to make this a three peat it's got to be tough for an entire team to feel that way. There's got to be some hangover effect in, in, in certain respects. I know Scott Broch has told me, you know, it's tough when you keep going to the postseason year and year and year, and you get these very abbreviated off seasons. So when I asked them about the motivation factor, they all said, Oh no, the, the boss, he demanded every single year we had to win. There was no lack of motivation there. And so that, kind of kickstarted the idea. Okay. I think George Steinbrenner, it doesn't matter what year it is, how much they've won. If you didn't continue his legacy of winning, that was a problem. And so then I started looking back in the history in this opening section, which kind of details a little bit about that, uh, that thesis, if you will, George Steinbrenner, it doesn't matter. It's a spring training game in, in 1977. And he is yelling at Billy Martin because they've lost to the Mets in a meaningless exhibition game that's been broadcast back to New York. And that really kind of did set the tone, I think, early on to then realize, okay, I think George is a bigger part of this than than maybe I had anticipated. Yeah, I think um, I liked that you started the story with that anecdote. And then later on in the piece, there, there was, I think Jeff Nelson talked about what Mr. Steinbrenner did at the end of the regular season in 2000. Like everybody kind of, it's pretty well documented how the Yankees finished in September. but right, wasn't it Nelson who told the story of, of what Mr. Steinbrenner did at the end of the regular season there? Yeah, I was almost uh, a little upset because no one could officially corroborate it, but it was such a specific anecdote that I had to believe that it was true. The Yankees had just lost three in a row to Tampa Bay and they were facing their final series. They were going up to Baltimore. They were in the midst of a four game losing streak at that point. And they're sitting on the runway in this small plane and they're just sitting there two, one hour, two hours. And Jeff Nelson's like, okay, this doesn't make any sense. We're on some random smaller airport runway. We just got to go to Baltimore. Why are we waiting two hours? And he said, yeah, they kept saying it was paperwork and that there was some issue. And he just felt that in his heart, <laughs> George Steinbrenner was keeping them on that runway as almost a, a punishment for the way that they were playing. And uh, I think most people, when I told them that story, they said, well, I don't remember specifically that, but there are many stories that they remembered very similar to that, where they all just felt, yeah, this was George using every inch of his capacity to impact us in one way or other, tell us how he was feeling without maybe directly telling us. And uh, I think even though they did lose the final three games of the year, they won the division. And I think they just had that idea that, 
they needed to kick this around uh, in order to make him happy. You know, Nate, of the three of us here, you're the only one, I believe, although correct me if I'm wrong, Jake, I think you're the only one of the three of us who was actually in the New York area in the fall of 2000. Is that correct? Nate, Jake, you weren't here, were you? I was not. No, No, yeah. Yeah, I was in Seattle. So, I mean, what are your memories of just kind of, not that you were walking around Manhattan every day or the Bronx for that matter, but, you know, just the general sense around the area while this was going on. Yeah. So I I was in college at the time in New Brunswick at Rutgers. And, um, you know, I mean, look, every October was kind of the same. My, my first few years of college, like, you know, it was everything centered around Yankees baseball, you know, that was like the focal point of our lives. And during that time, yeah, I mean, everybody, you know, who was a baseball fan, it was like, you, you had to show your colors. You know, I remember like seeing people putting up signs in their windows in their off-campus apartments and houses and stuff, you know, kind of pledging their allegiance to either the Yankees or the Mets. You know, it was cool. It was a cool time. It was definitely like, you know, you would always, if you saw somebody out wearing their Mets gear, you would start up a, you know, kind of good-natured conversation with them, uh, talking trash. But it was, uh, every October was like that for Yankees fans. But to have uh, so many people rooting for the other side, uh, be surrounded by people like that uh, certainly made it more intense. And, you know, it was interesting too, because I think there's an idea that maybe it wasn't the best thing for baseball because it was so localized to two New York teams that nobody else really cared. And maybe they took the Mets side a little bit more because they just hated the Yankees so much for winning all the time. And they were always in the world series. It felt like a little bit like the Patriots of the last few years, always in the Super Bowl. But I, I just think it was so unique to have a subway series for the first time since 1956. It was so there is there, I, I guess from baseball fans perspective, it's cool to see that happen at, at the final leg, but there probably was a little bit of fatigue from just seeing the Yankees get there all the time. Yeah. You know, I never bought the whole, you know, I, I, I rather, let me say, that's right. I think you're right, Jake. I don't think the fatigue was that it was localized. I mean, for the fact of, you know, no one in 1989 was like, oh, I don't want to watch this series. You know, who cares about the Bay Area? I mean, obviously, and that turned into something very dramatic, but you, you get what I'm saying. I mean, it wasn't like anyone was like, no, what do I care about San Francisco and Oakland? You know, I, I can tell you coming at this from, you know, I was in Ann Arbor in Michigan at the time where there's first off, no shortage of New Yorkers. Secondly, no shortage of people who can't stand New Yorkers. And thirdly, at the time, obviously, the Yankees, like you said, were just no one wanted to deal with the Yankees. And yeah, there was definitely frustration with the series. But again, I don't think it was just this idea of, you know, oh, you know, it's just this one city. I think it was mostly the Yankees again. And, and I mean, yeah, look, the Mets had been to the LCS the year before, too. The Mets weren't a total upstart in the way that the Yankees, when they say we're playing against some of the other teams they've played in those series, it, it wasn't exactly like that. But no, I, I never, I never, that, that whole thing never made sense to me. This whole idea of, no, it's two New York teams. Why would I watch? And I think for a lot of this series, it was so, I mean, both of these teams were very evenly matched too. I mean, there, there, there did feel like a lot of these games were so close. They came down to a couple key plays, one really big key game that then kind of swung the whole series. And you start to see like, man, it, going back and talking to these guys, it was, boy, if this had gone the other way, I'm not sure 
I'm not sure the series is completely different. And I think that was the fun part too, is this was actually a very competitive world series and both fans had reasons to be excited, but both have, you know, reasons to feel like they could really earn bragging rights. Cause that was the other big thing. Like if it, it was, it was the George Steinbrenner feeling of, it doesn't matter the fact that the Yankees have won two world series in a row. If you end this run by losing to the crosstown rivals, it almost negates what they had done in some ways, in some strange way. And I know that doesn't seem today. It seems crazy to think, but I feel like that really was the sentiment among the players that I talked to. Jake, you you spoke to a a bunch of different guys for this piece. And um, a few of those guys are, are still local and, you know, we're able to to track down guys like, you know, we wrote a story about Bernie Williams last September. But one guy who we haven't necessarily spoken to in a while in the magazine was David Justice. What were your impressions of him? How, how did you track him down? And w- was he uh, happy to talk about his memories of the 2000 World Series? Yeah, he was so much fun to talk to. In fact, I think he was my favorite guy I, I spoke with. He seemed to be so interested <laughs> in reliving that year because that was a really big exciting year for him. I did fi- was able to find uh, an email for him and uh, he just called me on a whim. Right, a- It was almost exactly right after I got off the phone with Jeff Nelson. So it was a perfect timing call. And I, I think he- that was such a, a monumental year for him because he had been traded on June 29th of that year to the Yankees from the Indians. So mm-hmm. that was a big life switch for him, first of all. But then to go to that organization and this was a, a team that he had certainly had his uh, battles with in the past. He played for the Braves, so he had lost to them before. Actually, he had, uh, and then he had, he had beaten the Yankees with the Indians in 97. So there's, there was a lot of uh, back and forth there with him. So he knew this franchise very well, but it was fascinating to hear him talk about a lot of the details about George Steinbrenner because he really, he really uh, perked up with uh, the way that he felt the organization treated him and the guys and everything was just so smooth and seamless when he got there. He ended up hitting 20 home runs in the second half of that year, 41 home runs overall. Uh, So he just kept rolling. Uh, I didn't include this, but he said, you know, Don Zimmer told me at the end of the World Series, uh, you know, hadn't I come over, he's not sure that the Yankees would have made it here. <laughs> so he had a little bit of uh, a little fun with this, but I think he had some really good memories. And one of my favorite ones that he shared too was, uh, was actually shared by everyone. They remember this very well was after the second game, when the series shifted to Queens and they start going out to uh, Shea stadium for their workout, they went in the clubhouse of the Mets notoriously at that point, Shea was kind of getting beaten up at that point and and it just was not a great environment for an opposing team i believe the word you're looking for is spartan (laughs) (laughs) well jeff nelson had some pretty fun comments too and i I, he basically called it a hole in wall and (laughs) and that's effectively what it was but david justin was saying that there were these metal stools he had to sit on and one day i think around that workout game steinbrenner walks in and he sees what the furniture display is and he immediately sees a couple couches in the middle and some guys are playing cards and he yells at them. He says, get up, get up. And he brings the couch. He, dra- he helps drag the couch over to David justice just so he can get a nice seat for a change. 
And I think from then on, he ordered every uh, piece of furniture from the Yankee Stadium clubhouse right over on trucks to, to cross the, the bridge and, and get in there before game three. So it's just every little thing. You know, and, and, uh, another fun fact for you about David Justice, by the way, David Justice is one of the most recent of very few trades between the Yankees and Mets. He was traded the next year, 2001, for Robin Ventura. Not a lot of times you see these two making deals, but he was involved in one of them. <laughs> it is. Uh, it's fascinating. Yeah, I, I think it just seemed for the brief time that he was with the Yankees, he has such a love for the organization and, and uh, just his memories of that were just really, really clear to me. He was excited to talk about it. And, uh, and then I, I mean, I'm even missing out the fact that he had that big play in the relay in, in game one, throwing off the wall and in uh, Jeter's infamous, uh, depending on how you look at it, throw to Jorge Posada to nab Timo Perez, who had, uh, who had been jogging around and not fully committed. I was going to say, you know, uh, maybe I'll leave out exactly where my allegiances were in 2000, but I'm pretty <laughs> sure that whatever you want to say about David Justice and Derek Jeter and anyone else in that play, it's really more about Timo Perez than uh, what anyone else did. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you get the Yankees perspective, David Justice <laughs> certainly just, he, he, he will only credit that to the great mechanics, to knowing where Jeter was specifically <laughs> going to be, one hopping him on perfect trajectory uh that was the way that he saw that but yes he did make a make a nice little addendum there and said yeah i don't know if timo perez was playing with the braves he would have been chewed out for that <laughs> oh, mets, I, I can assure you mets fans have never forgiven him for it <laughs> yeah I, I thought he was he was such a great addition of this piece i mean he was he was a monster for the yanks that year i remember like i was at the, the pennant clinching game against seattle right before the subway series and like justice, I think was the MVP of that series. He was just like, he, he was terrific. And he had the big or, home run off Arthur Rhodes there. Yeah. Yeah. And the, the, the stories he told, I, I forgotten that he, uh, of course, everybody remembers the Clemens Piazza showdown in the, in the subway series, but uh, I had forgotten that <laughs> he kind of laughed it off though, that uh, he was, he got the retaliation for that one. Yeah, that's the other part. I forgot about that. And and he he kind of he did. He joked it off. I mean, Mike Hampton basically had to do something, right? And uh, that was I certainly at a time. I, I wonder how that would have all gone down today had that happened in a playoff game. I, I still think that there is, uh, especially with sabermetric heads and analytics and everything, the and the retaliation factor just doesn't feel proper anymore. Uh, but I do think that uh, it's funny when you look back at this series, just how many crazy moments and inflection points happened. And it's just naturally because I think these two uh, teams are such rivals. It's a fantastic story, Jake. I have to say there was like this period a couple of years ago um, spurred on by a couple of websites where it seemed like there was no topic in the world that was too ordinary for an oral history. And it really turned me off to them for a while. And, you know, you're correct in saying that when I read your first draft of this thing, you know, I, I, I kind of felt it had an oral history on it. And that wasn't a negative in any way. It wasn't a, a knock on your writing. It was just that you had accumulated such incredible content from all these guys. I really hope everyone will go online and read it at yankees.com slash magazine. It's one of those situations, you know, I don't know, you can compare it if you want to a uh, current 10 part documentary that's airing on ESPN. <laughs> you know, the, the 2000 world series is something that fans think they did really know the whole story already. I certainly didn't. Um, and I, and I, I learned a lot. I laughed a lot at it. I, cried a little bit during it all of it, but you know, it, it's just a great piece. I really think you did a terrific job with it. And I'm, I'm glad that, you know, even though we don't have, you know, our full magazine happening right now, that we're able to still be putting out things like this that we'll be able to 
keep pushing through over the course of however long we're at home. So, you know, just killer job on this. Thank you. It was fun to put together. Thank you. Thank you, Nate. Thank you, Jake. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Again, I, I, I say it every week. I, I would love to think that two weeks from now we're at Yankee Stadium chatting about baseball. I don't think that's going to be the case. But wherever we are two weeks from now, I hope you'll continue to listen to us. I hope you'll continue joining us. I hope you will check out Yankees.com slash magazine, where we are continuing to put up stories about topics such as the 2000 Subway Series. We also just put up a story by Al Sanasiri about Giancarlo Stanton that you should really read. We are going to keep getting stuff up there. We're also going to be opening our archives a little bit and pulling out some stories that have never made it onto Yankees.com. So you can look forward to those. Follow us on Twitter at Yanks Magazine, where you can get all the information about when those will be going up. Like we said in the first segment, with the magazine on hold, you might wonder about subscriptions and things like that. Whatever number of issues you're, you still have your subscription, you will receive. But if you want to subscribe right now, that's great too. Go to yankees.com slash publications, or if you have any questions about your subscription, call 800-GO-YANKS. In the meantime, thank you so much for listening to this. Please subscribe, rate, review, tell us how much you like us. Also, listen to our other podcast, Deep to Left with Bucky Dent, the most recent episode had Mark Teixeira and next week we're going to have another one coming up with Hall of Famer Cal Ripken Jr. that you're going to want to listen to so check that out everyone I can't stress enough be healthy be safe remember that you know as hard as this is we're doing what we have to do right now to you know help everyone around us and, and we're going to come through this thank you so much for listening we'll speak to you in two weeks have a good one Hi, this is Tyler Wade. If you like what you're hearing, why don't you rate and review us? And while you're at it, tell your friends to subscribe. Thanks so much, and go Yankees. Deep to left. Yastrzemski will not get it. It's a home run. A three-run home run for Bucky Jim. The Yankees now lead it by a score of 3-2. to two. Hey folks, it's Bucky Dent. I'm proud to be part of a new podcast on Yankees Magazine Podcast Network called Deep to Left with Bucky Dent. Every other Tuesday, we'll bring you a new episode chatting about great moments from Yankee history with some of my best friends from a career in the game. We'll look at what's happening with the current team, share some memories, and no surprise, we'll even discuss a little homer I hit one credible day in Fenway Park. Download Deep to Left with Bucky Dent at yankees.com slash podcast or at the podcast app of your choice. Can't wait to speak with you soon. The MLB Ballpark app will complete your next visit to Yankee Stadium. Buy and manage game tickets, redeem special check-in offers, access exclusive content, and much more. Download the MLB Ballpark app today by visiting yankees.com backslash ballpark app.